Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 523. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living series, today's show is about fairy tales. Yep, that's right, fairy tales. Fairy tales are a profound force of storytelling, extending far beyond the nursery into film, advertising, novels, politics, propaganda, music, and much more. Folklorists and Smithsonian Associates, Sarah Clito and Brittany Warman, will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates April 22, 2021, and we have them today to explore the fascinating intertwining branches of fairy tales, both traditional folkloric fairy tales and literary fairy tales. It's going to be a great show. I think you're going to love this. Together, Dr. Sarah Clito and Dr. Brittany Warman will share with us how traditional tales collected orally moving from the well-known text of the Brothers Grimm to less familiar stories from collectors around the world and literary tales to examining creators from 17th century Madame Marie Dunois to 19th century Oscar Wilde to 20th century Angela Carter and beyond. These stories are powerful, both overlooked and omnipresent. They shape many aspects of our culture while flying under the radar. Taking them seriously can be rewarding and fun, too. Our guests today, Dr. Sarah Clito and Dr. Brittany Warman, are former instructors of folklore and literature at The Ohio State University and are co-founders of the Carter Haw School of Folklore and the Fantastic. They'll be leading us through a journey of the strange and marvelous world of the wonderful fairy tales, concentrating on their complex history and incredible staying power. We're talking fairy tales today, so please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Dr. Sarah Clito and Dr. Brittany Warman. Sarah Clito and Brittany Warman, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us here. Oh, it's it's going to be great to talk to you. I, you know, I really love this subject, and I love to read. My, many of my audience love to read. I think this is going to be interesting because we're we're all familiar with fairy tales. That's, that's our subject today is fairy tales, and we're going to talk about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, which is, I, I'm super excited to get into this. So, Sarah, maybe we'll start with you. Um, briefly tell us about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. Sure. So, we're going to be talking very generally about fairy tales. Uh, this is Brittany's and my pretty much favorite subject in the entire world. We could talk (laughs) probably all day, every day about fairy tales if someone would let us, Um, but we're trying to contain ourselves a little bit for this talk. (laughs) So what we'll be doing is giving a broad overview of what fairy tales are, what they can look like, and some of the ways that they have shown up over the last you know, several hundred years. So, um, but part of what makes this so much fun is like you said, Paul, that everyone's already kind of familiar with fairy tales, right? I mean, so many of us heard them when we were growing up, we had picture books, um, we saw cartoon versions, we have Disney, but they also show up in so many other different ways. They just really totally permeate our culture. So we're going to be talking about some of the major fairy tales and how they have shown up over time and the ways in which they they can be they can do stuff that's really unexpected um, part of what is so incredibly powerful about fairy tales that Brittany and I always love to geek out about is that people assume that like they're just like silly stories for kids a lot of the time they really can 
fly underneath the radar and people might not pay a lot of attention to them. But that very like minimization that often happens of fairy tales is part of what makes them so sneaky and so powerful. <laughs> so we'll have lots of fun talking about that. <laughs> Thank you. I, this this just does sound, sound really fascinating. Well, Brittany, we're living kind of in a in a virtual world in, in many ways. Um, yeah. We're talking often via Skype and Zoom. The presentation is going to be via Zoom. Our audience uh, really loves those kind of engaging um, environments. But tell us a little bit about how you're going to be using Zoom to to get our audience hooked. Sure. Well, so through Carter Hall, our, our company, we've gotten very familiar with Zoom and other <laughs> online video streaming <laughs> platforms. Um, I think we all have this past year. Uh, it took us a bit of getting used to, but I think we're much more relaxed and easygoing about the whole process than we were when we first started. Oh, uh, yes. And that always makes the whole lecture process just so much more fun. We commonly lecture together, and one of the biggest parts of our dynamic is that we really play off each other a lot. We uh, So we had to adjust a little bit to getting the... Uh, to getting yeah, like uh, the vibe right and being able yes, to bounce getting, that's a good way to other. put it. <laughs> getting the vibe right, getting the uh, the way of mm-hmm. talking back and mm-hmm, forth mm-hmm. that we manage to do when we do things in, when we're in the same physical space. So once we we manage to recapture that magic, I think that we do that pretty well over Zoom. As far as engagement goes, one of our favorite things to do is make really funny and ridiculous graphics. So I'm sure our presentation <laughs> will include a lot of those as well. That's great. And we also just love, um, you know, hearing the audience chime in. Like if we can keep our eyes on the chat as much as possible, um, we love being able to pivot a little bit and, and respond to things as we go if we can. And sometimes we have to stay a little bit more focused on what we're doing. But if we can actually, you know, monitor what people are saying and respond in real time. We always love being able to do that as well. And that has been such a fun part of using Zoom and other platforms like this over the last year, which we really didn't anticipate. It's been a way to really engage more mm-hmm. with the audience in unexpected mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. That that uh, that's, a, that's a good way to describe it. it. Well, for both of you, but Brittany, why don't you start by telling us how are fairy tales used in, in popular culture to tell us stories? And, and Sarah, certainly, you know, jump in too here. <laughs> This is, uh, when I saw this question, this is a huge question, but it's also a really important one. The thing is, so fairy tales are used throughout Western popular culture today all the time. It And it really boils down to what Sarah was saying earlier. They are so familiar. People know fairy tales. They know fairy tale, what we call fairy tale shorthand. An ad, for example, can briefly show a girl with a red cape in a forest, and everyone watching will immediately know that the spot is referencing Little Red Riding Hood in some way, right? So the work of setting up the story is already done. So you don't have to spend a lot of time, especially in things like ads, you don't have to spend a lot of time explaining everything before getting to the point. This isn't just the case for ads, but also just popular culture of all time, all kinds, movies, TV shows, novels, comic books, all kinds of media reference fairy tales all the time because of that familiarity factor, because they know people are able to identify with them in some way. There's a sense of timelessness, there's nostalgia, and there's there's true power in these stories that really allows them to shift and linger on in our modern society and 
we think that's one of the most fascinating parts of these kinds of stories. Yeah, and they have an emotional impact too. Sorry, this is Sarah jumping in again. Yeah, yeah, um, good. No, good, good. I'm yeah, glad. and that's just part of why, you know, they work so well in things like ads, why they can work so well, you know, remixed or intertextually just dropped into a novel or being briefly referenced in a TV show, something like that, because people recognize fairy tales. So they become a lot of fun to play with, a lot of yes. fun to like I said, remix before and kind of create something new out of old pieces. And they show up, um, I don't think we mentioned this yet, but they show up in fashion all the time, which is one yes. of our um, one of our favorite things to consider too when we're looking at things that aren't um, narrative, that aren't story-based strictly. There are so many different ways that fairy tales influence fashion all the way from like the runway for designers like Alexander McQueen, for instance, who really was a, like a powerhouse of creating fairy tale fashion, but all the way down to specialty lines that you might see through places like Hot Topic or Forever 21 or so many other things. So they really just show up in almost every aspect of pop culture that you could possibly imagine. Like video games, too. I mean, I, I, oh, could, yes. I, I could do this for ages, but I will. I will stop now. <laughs> I think there's something there too. Sorry, this is Brittany again. I think there's something there too in, you know, why we keep coming back to these stories. There are some of the first stories we ever hear when we're little and they, you know, I mentioned a nostalgic factor, but it's also, you know, the familiarity factor that, that lets them be stories we can connect with on a deeper level that lets mm -hmm. them be, you know, stories that help shape our lives in some ways. I think in particular always about, how we describe, you know, an underdog team as the Cinderella story, right? When you're playing like a sports team and, and this, this team comes up out of nowhere and uh, wins the championship and we're, and it's all very exciting and very riveting and, and you, it makes you feel good with these kinds of stories. And we call them Cinderella stories. And so that's just one of the ways in which these tales have a really strong connection to everybody in Western culture that, that we just, it just often gets overlooked. Mm -hmm. My son is getting married um, soon here. He's going to have a, you know, a, a wonderful COVID, you know, wedding, I'm sure. But he, his uh, bride <laughs> is interested in a fairy tale wedding. So you hear these terms all the time. And one of the things mm -hmm. that I found in my research of you, of you both and, and your work is this is these these two branches, and maybe there are more, but maybe you can tell us what the traditional folkloric fairy tale is and what the literary fairy tales are. Absolutely. So to generalize a bit, we generally say that a fairy tale is traditional or folkloric if it's part of the oral tradition, meaning it's a fairy tale that people tell each other out loud one that doesn't have a specific definitive author, but one that passes from person to person and changes a little bit, but stays kind of stable, but is alive and circulating through word of mouth, through oral tradition. Whereas literary fairy tales are the ones that are written down on paper, they're published in books, and they have one definitive author with a name attached to it. And that sounds like a very straightforward division, right? But the thing is, it's incredibly tricky and these categories are nowhere near as stable as we often feel like they should be. So mm -hmm. a folkloric fairy tale uh, from the oral tradition, so, you know, a writer could hear it, 
and they could write it down and, you know, make their own additions to it and publish it under their own name. And then people could read that version over and over. Uh, and then it could end up being part of the oral tradition again. Someone could read it and then someone could decide, actually, I want to tell this story again. So even though it's definitely two branches, and I think we could make lots of arguments about other possible mm -hmm. branches as being part of pop culture and other things, <laughs> there's a lot of fluidity and a lot of movement between these branches, and they kind of end up supporting and reinforcing each other, we think. So the Brothers Grimm, for example, might be a literary fairy tale. They are closer to literary fairy tales, but what makes the Grimm's so fascinating to us is they're kind of straddling the line between folk fairy tales and literary, because they were, a lot of the time anyway, collecting their fairy tales. And we'll get much more into the Grimm's during the actual um, presentation, um, because they're really, really interesting. But they were mostly collecting their stories, but then they edited them, and they kind of fancied them up and made them seem more literary. But they were basically heavily edited stories, mostly from the oral tradition written down. So, you know, how do you categorize something like that? It's tricky. Right. The other thing that the grooms would do it often is hear a bunch of different people tell the same story and then pick out their favorite pieces of each of the different tellings and put that yes. together in sort of their definitive edition of the, of the tale. But of course, that's not really how oral tradition works. So yeah, the, the grooms are definitely an interesting case. Mm. We are with folklorist Sarah Cleto and Brittany Borman. Sarah and Brittany will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates program coming up on April 22nd. Smithsonian Associates title is The Power of Fairy Tales. They're here with us today. I just think this is a fascinating subject. And I wonder if you'd share maybe both of you, if you if you just take a moment and maybe share your favorite fairy tales and maybe focus on a fairy tale or two that might be less well known because the Grimm <laughs> brothers probably are very pretty well known. Certainly, you know, someone as novice as me, I, I'm aware, but but maybe tell us uh, uh, one or two that might not be as well known to our audience. Do you want to go first, Sarah? <laughs> oh, well, I just talked, but you can if you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. So there, there are a lot of fairy tales I love. When people ask me what my favorite fairy tale is, I, I tend to always say Sleeping Beauty, just because there's something of the aesthetics of it with the castle covered in rose briars, the sleeping princess, the fairies, all of that is is are things that are very much up my alley. But if we're talking about tales that are a little less familiar, um, the one that comes to mind is an Icelandic story called Kissa the Cat. Um, I love this story. It's a, a tale about a, a princess who has a cat. Um, the cat runs away and later the kitten of the cat comes back and helps the princess basically rescues the princess and then gets transformed into a princess herself. And it's a very wonderful story if you're a cat lover. Uh, one of my <laughs> favorites, for sure. As far as the Grimm tales go, I also just want to say, you know, there, there are many, many Grimm tales that are very familiar to people now. Uh, we tend to go back to the same ones over and over again, like Little Red Riding Hood or, you know, or Little Red Cap, as they call it, and uh, Little Briar Rose and Snow White and, and those kinds of things. But there are are also a lot of Grimm stories that just don't get as much attention as they should. Um, two of those that definitely come to mind for me are Jorinda and Jeringle, uh, which involves transformations and magical quests for flowers, and uh, The Glass Casket, which is a, a story that 
involves a whole town being put into little glass bottles, which is wonderful, a wonderful visual. So there are definitely some grim tales that are unfamiliar to most people still, too. Brittany, you listed so many of my favorite ones already. <laughs> but um, generally, when people ask me what my favorite fairy tale is, my answer is Beauty and the Beast, which is, of course, a very well-known version. It's been Disneyfied twice, so um, people people tend to know that one. But like Brittany, I really like the aesthetics of that particular one. Um, we're clearly both suckers for roses and magic castles. <laughs> Uh, but I also really like Beauty and the Beast because it takes a really hard look at romantic relationships, which is something that actually doesn't come up a lot in fairy tales, which sounds so silly because, of course, we have phrases like fairy tale romance, fairy tale wedding. We associate fairy tales with those things. But very often, um, romance isn't that big of a deal. Usually, the bulk of the story is focused on like family relationships or like competition between women or competition between a set of brothers, things like that. So Beauty and the Beast is actually comparatively unusual for uh, really exploring a romantic relationship. But as for some other tales that are lesser known, um, I really love the Grimm story, The Old Woman in the Woods, which I know is another one that Brittany really loves. Mm -hmm. And that's a story about a woman who, um, well, she's traveling through the woods with her her master and mistress. She's a servant, but suddenly, um, like a bunch of bandits come out and murder everyone except her. So, you know, great beginning for the fairy tale. <laughs> but, but then the forest rescues her, basically. She's worried about what she's going to do. She doesn't know how she's going to survive or what she eats. And then the forest keeps providing her with these like magic keys to open up the trees and to find food and to find a bed and to find everything that she needs. And by doing everything that basically a magic bird tells her to do <laughs> she is able to be safe there and then she follows you know more instructions in order to like navigate this witch's house and emerges triumphant and then finds out that the bird slash tree is actually her true love and then they live happily ever after Aww. so <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun and just um some other places to look for lesser known fairy tales that we love um Brittany and i are both obsessed with the fairy tales of angela carter she retold a lot of traditional fairy tales as gothic tales so you can find all of those in her collection called the bloody chamber and i also recently have been on a huge lafcadio hearn kick <laughs> and Lefkadio Hearn was a guy who collected and translated a bunch of Japanese traditional stories. And we might not technically call them fairy tales. We might call them wonder tales, but they're, they're very, very similar to what a lot of Western fairy tales do. And they're so beautiful and they're so um, like strange and familiar and thought provoking. Um, Lefkadio Hearn lived in many locations before he moved to Japan. So you'll see kind of a blending of like Irish folklore with Japanese lore that kind of comes together in a lot of these tales. And they're really, really cool reads. And you can find those online and also published in a bunch of different collections. Maybe you can share some links and I can put those into our show notes and our audience can find out more. I think that that might be very helpful because we will have links to where you can find out more information about the power of fairy tales, the upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation from folklorist Sarah Clito and Brittany Warman. 
Guys, I just have one more question for you. I know you're very busy because I know you're you're also you're also business people. You've co-founded the Carter Haas School of Folklore and the Fantastic. And I love that name, the <laughs> Carter Haas School. We're going to put links up to where our audience can find out information about the Carter Haas School of Folklore. But tell us, what do you teach there? And tell us maybe a little bit about the program, how you both founded it, and maybe what you've learned about fairy tales and why they're important, especially especially now. Oh, gosh. Uh, there's so many different <laughs> ways we could go with this this question. Carter Hall has, hands down, been the best thing that we have ever done. It is a wonderful experience. We, we started it mostly because we realized that there was a huge group of people out in the world who loved folklore, loved fairy tales, and never got the chance to study them in a formal way like Sarah and I were lucky to do, enough to do. And when when we realized that, we realized that there was a, a big gap that needed to be filled. And so we thought maybe we would be able to teach some courses on fairy tales, some courses on folk narrative, on witches, on folklore and creative writing, on myths and legends and British folklore and all the things that we were particularly interested in and, and see, you know, maybe if there were some people out there that would be interested in studying this stuff with us. What we found after that was the most amazing thing because there were not only tons of people interested in studying this stuff with us, but there were also, they wanted to build a community with us, a community full of people who love this material, who believe that it adds something to everyday life. And, you know, we describe it as adding a kind of magic to everyday life because that is really what it feels like. It's the magic of finding people who share your interests, the magic of connecting with people, even across the internet, uh, the magic <laughs> of doing creative things together. And that is a huge part of everything that Carter Hall is about. And I feel incredibly blessed that we've been able to do this. <laughs> this is Sarah jumping in again. And I, I just can't emphasize enough how much we had no idea that, that there were <laughs> other people out there who would be into this. We really taught our first pilot course, my gosh, I, I guess four and a half years ago now, somehow, um, kind of on a whim. And we were like, will anyone show up? We we think we think they might. We really think that there's a, a need for this. And people just kept coming. They kept finding us. And it's just been a it's been a wild ride. And it's been so extraordinary to connect with people literally all over the world. At this point, I think we've had people join us from every continent except Antarctica, <laughs> um, from so many different countries. And they bring, you know, their own knowledge and their own perspective. And it's so cool to get to you know, not only share what we know and what we were able to learn from our formal study, but also learn from all the people who join us, who tell us, you know, the versions of stories that they've heard, you know, from wherever they are and the, the things that they see in these tales, even the very familiar ones that Brittany and I might have not considered before. So really the community that's grown up around Carter Hall has been really extraordinary. And I think that... And given the... Sorry, go ahead. I, I, um, so yeah, this no, is Brittany no, again, and I please. just want to jump in to say, too, I think that really does speak to the importance of these tales. I think a lot of people recognize that there's something about these tales that keeps drawing them back, that keeps 
keeps them at the forefront of their mind, even when it seems like society wants to dismiss them. They're always still there. Sarah spoke at the beginning of our uh, of our talk just about the subversive power of fairy tales, how they're always being dismissed and yet always coming back. And I think the people that find Carter Hall sense this and want to connect with it in some way. And some of the things that have resulted from finding that connection are amazing. The creative work that some people have been inspired to make by taking our courses has been astronomically inspiring. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, I think we do. I think we need these fairy tales. Their staying power is is impressive, and the stories are wonderful. And it's nice to have something that it, like that in our days, in our lives today. Sarah Cleto and Brittany Warman, thank you so much for your time. We're going to put links up to uh, this wonderful work of yours. Um, we're looking forward to the presentation coming up again Thursday, April 22nd at Smithsonian Associates. We're going to have links for all of this information. But Brittany and Sarah, thank you for your time today. And uh, we'd love to have you come back and talk more about fairy tales with us sometime if you're if you're up for that. Well, thank you so much. And we would absolutely love to. Um, like I said at the beginning, we would be thrilled to talk anyone's ear off about this <laughs> all day long. All day long, yes. <laughs> I could. So thank lovely you so much with you about that. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Brittany. Good to talk to you guys. Good to lovely talking to you. My special thanks to Dr. Sarah Cleto and Dr. Brittany Warman for their generous time today. Sarah Cleto and Brittany Warman will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates April 22nd, and the title of their presentation is The Power of Fairy Tales. Details and links can be found in our show notes today. My thanks as well to Smithsonian Associates for all they do to support the show. And my thanks to you, my dear Not Old Better Show audience, for your company today. I hope you'll join me next time. Be safe. Be healthy. Please practice smart social distancing. I hope you're listening to the program today while you're in line for the vaccine. And remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>